They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling! the two-man power trip of wrestling and today's episode is brought to you and powered by spartacon a rebels convention hosted by the red serpents on august 15th and 16th at the regency furniture stadium in waldorf maryland please visit redserpents.com for more information with that being said i am chad and as always i am joined by my tag team partner Prime time, John Paz. John, are you a bad influence or oh, are you addicted? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably, I would say, more towards the addicted side. All right. And today's guest is none other than the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. What an awesome treat. It was to talk to the fallen angel, a legend of Ring of Honor, a current star of Ring of Honor, and with the absolutely monumental and colossal move to Destination America, I think it's safe to say we caught the fallen angel at the right time. Oh, yeah, perfect timing by us getting uh, getting him just as ROH moves to Destination America on June 3rd, so very great timing on our part and it's all it's always a great time to talk to one of the living legends of wrestling one of my favorites the fallen angel christopher daniels and you definitely talked at length about the history of ring of honor and christopher daniels and some of the great feuds and some of the legendary matches that he had that really defined the early half of the promotion and really brought him to light as being one of the best workers in not only the United States, but also the world. But like I said off the top with that Destination America move, it's really ruffled a lot of feathers in the wrestling business because it's really putting a lot of heat on TNA Impact Wrestling. But if you're a Ring of Honor fan, this is really one of the greatest things that you could possibly imagine because now for all those huge markets that didn't get the television show, it's going to pump up the, the ratings because you know the, the diehards are going to support it anyway. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely watch it. I watch it on Sinclair at 1 o'clock in the morning on Saturday nights, and half the time my DVR will get it if I fall asleep. But uh, uh, what do you think about the audience finally getting in on, uh, on actually seeing the television show when it's broadcast? I love it. It's a great move on their part because obviously syndication is a lot different than being on uh, you know, national TV with Destination America, and it's just perfect the way it works out. Eight o'clock um, Wednesday night, right before TNA goes on, and uh, who knows? Sooner or later, ROH probably will be taking over on Destina- Destination America, and if the rumors are true, uh, TNA could be gone. Yeah, that's true. It's unfortunate, but. It's almost like a casualty of war because you want to see 
all pro wrestling shows doing well and you want to see everybody uh, working hard and, and putting on a good show, but it's the right time for our ways to get on a big network like Destination America uh, because they definitely have, I, I would say humbly, the standout product uh, in the United States out of all the promotions that have uh, mainstream television. But I don't want to put you on the spot, and there's a lot to talk about with Christopher Daniels, but what would you say was the one question you were dying to ask him? Well, I'm such an old school uh, ROH mark, you know, from the beginning. So I, I was dying to ask him about, um, you know, the early days of the prophecy and how it started and uh, him not shaking hands, you know, the code of honor, how how that went, and, uh, and basically being the number one heel in the early days of Ring of Honor. And uh, it's always something I was very curious about. I also, uh, my, probably my second favorite thing that I got to ask about was WCW, back in 2000 uh, when he was signed there and then again in 2001. Always curious about what what went down there. And, you know, he gives a, a, a great answer, a straightforward great answer about that. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely interesting because I, I think I recall him saying previously, and, and he didn't mention it with us, but I, I almost can vaguely remember him saying somewhere that he might have been the last official WCW contract signed and I guess when the WWE uh, took over those contracts, it's just I, I'm not sure if he was a part of that group, but I think he was the last official WCW contract to be offered, uh, which is cool. And had WCW continued, he gave a great indication as to where his uh, his fate would have been tied to, and uh, I think it would have been firmly gripped in a Steiner recliner. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very, very true. As uh... Scott Steiner, you know, it took out him and Mike Bottas to clean out the game, if you will. But uh, actually, in the, I think it was 2001, uh, Christopher Daniels does make a couple appearances on uh, WBTV. I know he was in a couple, like, uh, squash matches and stuff, and I know he was on Jack. So, I mean, he does make appearances for WWE after WCW closes his doors. But I, I think you are correct. I think he was, like, the last contract signed, um, or one of the last contracts signed before uh, WCW went to the bye-bye-ville. Yeah, and it's still, it's nearly 15 years later, and you still shake your head at the fact that, oh, could they have just done something differently in that 1999-2000 era that wouldn't have made it that sinking 80, 100, 150 million, whatever the uh, actual number is, sinking ship that uh, led to the change in the wrestling business. But speaking of changing... We're not changing anything here yet because June 13th, we have the big Glenn Kelly Eternal Tranquility benefit in Seaside, New Jersey at the Beachcomber, appearing alongside the two-man power trip of wrestling. Cannot wait for this, is the former ECW world champion, Justin Credible. He will be alongside us doing his thing. And really hope that if you're listening to this, you can come out and support uh, a great charity and also, in addition to the man, just incredible. Other legends like Kurt Angle and Mick Foley, Lita, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Million Dollar Man, Jake the Snake Roberts, Tatanka, tons of guys are going to be there signing autographs, taking pictures. Uh, definitely come down. That's June 13th. Check out tmptofwrestling.com for more information. And, John, before we throw it to the interview, I just want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Spartacon, a Rebels convention hosted by the Red Serpents. 
And Spartacon is a fan-driven convention for fans of ancient history, culture, fantasy, and the sword and shield genres such as Spartacus, 300, Xena, and other similar TV series and movies. Spartacon, the Rebels convention, will take place on August 15th and 16th at the Regency Furniture Stadium in Waldorf, Maryland, where they will transform an entire baseball stadium into an arena. So prepare yourself to be transported into a time where gladiators stood as tall as gods, and thousands of fans will lay eyes upon a gladiatorial bout choreographed by professional stuntmen and fight choreographers. And if you stand so worthy, you may get the chance to grace the sand as well. There will be a Spartacon oh, yeah. marketplace, oh, yeah. which will feature booth after booth of unique, creative, and handmade products from vendors who are as passionate as all the event attendees about Spartacus and the other shows depicting ancient cultures, not to mention the impressive guest list of stars who will be appearing from the show Spartacus. Great show. In addition to all of those traveling, there will be a special Spartacon discounted rate at the Hilton Garden Inn and Hampton Inn Hotels in Waldorf, Maryland. You can also get more information on that at redserpents.com. That is redserpents.com. That's Spartacon, August 15th and 16th in Waldorf, Maryland at the Regency Furniture Stadium. Please visit redserpents.com. And before we start the interview, just want to give us some plugs on the two-man power trip of wrestling. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. You will enjoy, I promise, we're putting out more and more clips of our great episodes featuring some many great talents such as Kane, Ken Shamrock, and, of course, Jesse the Body Ventura, amongst many others. Also, go to iTunes and please leave us a review. Please give us some feedback. We would really love it, so subscribe to us there. Also, Facebook, we're always putting up great stuff. That is two-man power trip, so like us there. Also, don't forget about the Twitter machine, at Pal and at two-man power trip. Always got great anecdotes from us on there, so you'll want to follow us there. Also, don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com, where you'll find a new design and very cool stuff on, on the website. And you'll also see on the top left corner an Amazon link. Please click on that link and do all your Amazon shopping through us. We get a little kickback from that, so we would greatly appreciate it. So don't forget, two-man power trip of wrestling. We are everywhere and anywhere, so check us out. And please enjoy a great, great interview with one of the greatest of all time, one of my favorite wrestlers, the Fallen Angel, the ring general, the best in the business. Three words. Check it out. Now, Christopher Daniels. Please enjoy. Today, our guest is a man who is truly in a class by himself when it comes to performing his craft. He is currently one half of the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions alongside his partner, Frankie Kazarian, making up the addiction. And his many, many accolades speak for themselves, winning titles and being the man in nearly every place he's ever been. And tonight, we have the pleasure of saying he is our guest, and that is the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. Thank you for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. 
Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure. So I guess uh, the number one question uh, on everybody's mind is going to be uh, the somewhat shocking out-of-left-field um, Ring of Honor to Destination America starting this Wednesday night. How surprised were you, and uh, what's your reaction to the move? Um, I, I'm honestly very surprised, man. Uh, this was all sort of a shock, I think, to the entire roster, but a good shock. Um, you know, I feel like uh, one of the things that, especially since I've come to Ring of Honor, one of the things that I had hoped would happen would be um, more of a concerted effort to sort of broaden the horizons of Ring of Honor. Um, you know, being a part of a syndicated show is one thing, but, you know, as syndication goes, not every place has it. Not everybody's available or, or has access to that show. And now uh, being on Destination America, it certainly opens a lot of doors for a lot of new fan base, for a, a, a wider fan base for us. So I think that's a great step forward for Ring of Honor. And, um, you know, it's a win-win situation for, for us as a company and as a brand. Definitely. And it, it's kind of funny when the news hit, it was very, very shocking. And definitely it was almost like it was a, like a big, huge drop. Like it was one banner and then it was all over the internet. But of course, coming with that is also the somewhat, uh, I guess, I wouldn't even, I don't know if I could say controversial, but then you could kind of classify it as the, uh, you know, the the questioning of putting two wrestling products back-to-back because TNA, Impact Wrestling, your former home, is on Destination America as well. What do you think about that dynamic of having back-to-back wrestling like that, especially two, I guess you could say, rival promotions? Well, to me, it seems like Destination America is uh, giving it's, – it's building a, a night of of action for them. They're building like a – uh, a set block of time towards professional wrestling. And I mean, truthfully speaking, the best two options in the United States that aren't WWE are ring of honor and, and TNA. So, I mean, you're certainly, uh, you know, covering a broad spectrum of, of talent. And uh, I think it's great for both companies. Um, you know, it just, it, it depends on what happens in the next couple months uh, to see how this benefits ring of honor and benefits TNA. Exactly, yeah, and it's it's almost like something you could never picture, you know, having, being a wrestling fan and being like, wow, you know, you're always striving to find more matches, more wrestling, more input, and here you go, you got two great shows back-to-back, but where you're coming in to, to, with ROH is that now you're bringing in the markets that haven't had the chance to have Sinclair Broadcasting, and two main ones being Philadelphia and New York and I think San Francisco, Talk about where the product is in Ring of Honor right now and where those fans can pick up on Destination America. Well, I, I feel like right now there's a lot of momentum behind Ring of Honor. I feel like the last year um, with us starting to do uh, live pay-per-views um, and uh, you know the growth of the product in the syndicated market, um, I feel like there's a lot of forward momentum for Ring of Honor, and this is just another step towards that. And uh, you also you mentioned New York and Philadelphia. I want to put out there Los Angeles as well is a market that Destination America hit that wasn't previously hit by our syndicated market. So I feel like there's a, a, a large amount of fans that have been clamoring to see Ring of Honor that are finally going to get a chance to watch it week to week. So that, to me, um, you know, especially with coming off of the, uh, the War of the World shows that we did with New Japan, um, you know, to me, that's a, that's a great step. It's a great jumping-on point 
for a lot of wrestling fans who have been, you know, struggling to find Ring of Honor, this is going to be a good chance for them to, to see some great matches you know, coming out of the gate. Now, you mentioned Global Wars and the War of the Worlds, and you guys are working with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Do you really enjoy working with New Japan and having cross-promotion? Because it seems like the crowds are hotter than ever uh, for ROH shows when, when you get the New Japan guys in there. Well, I, I feel like New Japan is, is a hot product right now. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, especially since they've got their show on active television, um, I feel like there's a lot of uh, demand for their wrestlers in the United States. So, um, you know, this is something, this is a relationship that's been going on for a couple of years now, and I think it benefits both New Japan and Ring of Honor to uh, to sort of co-promote like that. And um, those four shows that we did, the two in Philadelphia and the two in Toronto, um, just top to bottom, they were just, you know, an electric atmosphere. Um, everybody was pumped. Everybody brought their A game. And, um, you know, you can't help but go out there when you've got a fan base that's so rabid and so passionate for both rosters, can't help but go out there and, and perform at a top level when you've got that energy to feed off from the fans. You know, it's interesting. I was at one of the War of the Worlds uh, shows. It was the addiction against uh, Ghetto and Okada. And it's funny, I'm right. looking at you, and I'm saying, man, you're obviously the quote-unquote ring general. He's the man. He's so smooth that they look across the ring like, Okada might be just as smooth as this guy. What has it been like seeing the transition of him? Because I know you wrestled him in, in TNA years and years ago when he was just, you know, basically a young boy for uh, Samoa Joe, quote-unquote. What, what, what was it like working with him then and then working with him now? Um, I, I've always thought he was very, very talented, man. Even back when he was in TNA, um, you know, I felt like TNA sort of missed the boat with him. Um, you know, and it, it was unfortunate that they that New Japan sent him over to sort of learn – uh, and get experience, and TNA sort of gave him the short shrift in that respect. Um, but, I mean, the good thing that came out of his experience there, I think, was uh, not just working with a lot of the TNA guys, but also the friendships that he made, especially with guys like the Young Bucks and um, Alex Shelley. I feel like that, uh, it sort of made him, uh, it got him interested in, in the, the type of wrestling that those guys did. And um, it, it helped him when he went back to, to New Japan. And it certainly helped the Young Bucks and Alex Shelley when he got over there because that's what sort of prompted them to come over with him um, once, he, once he got established as sort of a top-tier player. He was the guy that sort of said, hey, let's bring Young Bucks in New Japan. Let's bring Alex Shelley in. And um, that, that's, you know, it sort of uh, rejuvenated the, the junior tag team division in New Japan by bringing the Young Bucks and having Alex Shelley join with Kushida and form the Time Splitters, um, those guys have been mainstays in the Japan in the New Japan uh, Junior Tag Division for a while now because of this. Yeah, definitely, definitely true. Now, if I could just rewind a little bit back, because obviously we're, we're talking a lot of ROH, and I'm a fan from 2002, right from the beginning, and I used to love the prophecy. Now, when that all came about with the game, and I guess maybe Rob and Doug. Um, how did they present it to you? Did they say you're going to be, you know, the number one heel in Ring of Honor? Um, they never came out and said that, but I mean, that was sort of the what I. It was sort of inferred, um, especially uh, at the very beginning with the whole Code of Honor and me being the guy, the one guy that sort of frowned upon it. I mean, that was sort of the mentality, especially because it wasn't just one wrestler that I was sort of up against. It was sort of the 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 promotion as a whole, and so. 
me as that that one wrestler that sort of stood against what the promotion stood for. Um, it was a really cool dynamic to have all of these guys like Loki and Brian Danielson and uh, Paul London and, and Samoa Joe, these guys that sort of came up uh, fostering the, the code of honor and for me to be the guy that was sort of against it. Uh, it was very cool to sort of be that uh, antagonist for as many uh, protagonists as Ring of Honor sort of developed. And obviously with ROH, with the prophecy, you were the first ever tag champ with Donovan Morgan. Hopefully a lot of fans recognize that name because he's a very underrated wrestler. Um, but eventually what everyone was clamoring for, me, myself, because I actually went down to the Murphy Rec Center for this one, it was uh, Glory by Honor 2, and you had the chance to wrestle Samoa Joe. What was it like wrestling Samoa Joe then, and what are your thoughts of him returning to ROH now? Working with Joe was always uh, a blast. I always felt like Joe, you know, he had a firm sense of his character, and um, he knew to play to his strength. And, you know, his strengths were sort of becoming in vogue in the wrestling world. Uh, I think the one, you know, the first match that he had in Ring of Honor with Low-Key, um, originally the idea was that he was just going to be a one-shot guy because, you know, he lived on the West Coast and it was just cost prohibitive to bring him in. But he, you know, turned he, he turned everybody around in that respect. Like when he had that match with Low-Key, um, that was sort of the beginning at least on the on the independent scene of that strong style that everybody sort of got behind the stuff that uh, American Dragon and Low Key were sort of doing. Joe proved that he was a guy that could sort of hang in that same in that same genre, and so like that first match was what got him his job at Ring of Honor and sort of started the Samoa Joe bandwagon. And um, you know by that time when he had the the title. Um, you know, I feel like that title brought a lot of prominence to him, but in the same effect, it was his title reign thing, I think, that brought the Ring of Honor title to, to prominence. The idea of somebody holding a championship for over a year on the independent scene and sort of building that belt from what it was to what it became by the time he lost it. Um, you know, that, that had a lot, it had a lot to do with Joe and uh, him getting himself over with the Ring of Honor fan base. Now, uh, obviously, it's funny. It's like you're very synonymous. If you say Christopher Daniels, ROH, or even uh, Christopher Daniels and TNA, everyone immediately thinks of Samoa Joe. You guys kind of go hand in hand. What's it like him coming back, in a sense? I mean, he made a few dates, and obviously he's going to make another one when him and AJ go up against the addiction. But what's it like having Samoa Joe back? I I think it's awesome. I I feel like Joe, uh, he's sort of rejuvenated. I feel like he's got a a fire lit under him to sort of prove to the world that you know, he's still a top guy, um, you know, and, and it's something that I've always known and something that may not have been, uh, you know, actively pushed uh, when he was with TNA. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, now that he's out from there and sort of doing his own thing and, uh, you know, especially with the news about him and NXT, I, I feel like he's, and, um, you know, you get somebody that's inspired to go out there and uh, sort of, prove something he's got something to prove to everybody i feel like that's that's a great uh you know it's a great motivator you know you're going to stand across the ring from someone who's got who's out there uh you know sort of with a chip on his shoulder uh you can't help but sort of step up and 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 be a part of that and so i'm, I'm looking forward to june 20th um this will be the first time 
that AJ and Joe and myself and Frankie have ever been in the same match. We've been friends for, you know, more than a decade almost. And uh, But this will be the first time the four of us have been in the same match together, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, wow, did I know? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, especially with uh, Destination America and that match being for the TV taping. Very, very cool. Now, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a great, it's going to definitely be great, uh, you know, something to, to set your DVRs for, uh, for Destination America. It's certainly going to be a big match. Oh, yeah, definitely, no doubt. And another huge, huge name, not so much in the wrestling business anymore, but uh, within the UFC and the MMA world, is a guy you feuded with for a very long time, Second City Saints, who had a huge, great feud with the Prophecy. That is CM Punk. What were your thoughts on Punk then, and then what are your feelings of him now entering you know, the MMA world and stepping out of pro wrestling? Well, uh, I had nothing but fun working with CM Punk when we were in Ring of Honor together. Um, I felt like he and I were on the same page. We had some great ideas on what we could have done. And, um, you know, me leaving Ring of Honor when I did the first time, it sort of put a halt to that. But I, I was lucky enough to get a chance to come back and, and do a little uh, a program with him before he went on to WWE. And um, I always knew that he was, you know, just maniacally driven. You know, he was somebody that, you know, who uh, ate, drank, slept, breathed pro wrestling. And so, you know, to see the success that he finally got in WWE – um, you know, I knew it was a matter of if he got that opportunity, he was going to make take the most of that or make the most out of it. And so, um, you know, I, I knew that he was probably frustrated in OVW as long as he was there. But when he finally got that opportunity, he, he made the most of it and, you know, made himself, you know, one of the biggest stars since John Cena. And, um, you know, I was, you know, I'm disappointed that he left when he went when he did just because, I feel like he had a lot more that he could have done. But um, at the same time, he sort of left on his own terms, which was always, you know, a hallmark of always sort of, uh, you know, move to the beat of a dip, of his own drummer. And, um, you know, it's cool that he got the power and sort of the, the stroke to leave on his own terms and do what he wanted to do. And now that he's, you know, involved with doing UFC, um, it'll be interesting to see like how far he takes it, how successful he can be. You know, I know that if he sets his mind to it, he can do great things. And so now it's just a matter of, uh, you know, that opportunity coming forward. And, you know, his first couple of fights are going to be very interesting to see, not just from a wrestling standpoint, but from the UFC fan base standpoint, to see a guy coming from professional wrestling to see how successful he can be in UFC. Definitely. And you also have another big thing in common with CM Punk. You're both... Uh making some comics, uh, correct? I guess it's for uh, Marvel? Yeah, his was for Marvel. Mine was for um, Oh Yeah Comics, which is an independent that uh, Art Baltazar and Franco, uh, two guys that are very familiar to a lot of DC fans because of their work with uh, Tiny Titans and Superman Family Adventures. Um, they've got their own thing called Oh Yeah Comics, and that was the book that I wrote last year with them, uh, Chris Daniels and Kazarian Wrestle Oh Yeah Comics. And um, we're actually working on the sequel right now. I've written it. Now we're just waiting for spot and art schedule uh, to draw it and put it out. So hopefully by the end of the year we'll have uh, a two-part sequel uh, out and available for the wrestling band. That's pretty cool. I, I could definitely see a big uh, crossover uh, fan base, too, and, and, you know, comic book fans and wrestling fans. Yeah, I've always, uh, in the past couple of years, I've become more aware of it just because, 
Uh, I've been a little bit more open about how much of a comic fan I am. Um, you know, bringing comics on when I was on TNA to bring them on television to, uh, you know, the, the comic book inspired wrestling gear that me and Frankie wear. Um, I, I've seen a lot more people come, not just sort of be open about their, their love of both comic books and pro wrestling. And it's very cool. You know, it's, it's, it's a very similar storytelling genre, uh, pro wrestling and comic books. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, a lot more crossover than you would think. Uh, between the wrestling fan base and comic book fans. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Now, in ROH, your resume, I mean, it's huge. speaks for itself literally from um, the era of honor begins to now. I mean, you've been a television champ, you've been a tag champ, even with uh, Donovan Morgan, with uh, Matt Seidel, and now with uh, Frank Kazarian as the addiction. What was it like to come back again to ROH, and what, how much different was the locker room then than it is now? Um, really the locker room, the only difference is the people that are in it. I mean, there's always been a sense of, of togetherness and family in that locker room because we've all been striving to make ring of honor a better product. And so like that was very similar to, to when I left, um, that feeling of everybody sort of being on the same page and building towards something. Um, it was weird because, uh, when I left in 2011, they had just been purchased by Sinclair and um, we're just starting to get their television show uh, off the ground. And then I come back in 2014, and the first show that I get a chance to do is the first live pay-per-view, uh, you know, broadcast pay-per-view that, that Ring of Honor did. So, like, to me, I, I didn't really have anything to do with the build of the company from that period of time, from the day that they started on Sinclair to now, or 2014, um, that was the work of all the guys in that locker room, guys like uh, Adam Cole and Michael Logan and Jay Briscoe and Roderick Strong. That was something that that locker room sort of did on their own and, and built themselves up. And um, I was just very fortunate. I feel very fortunate that they uh, gave me an opportunity to return to the company and to bring Frankie with me. You know, Frankie didn't really have that history with the company like I did. And, at the same time, me having history with that company didn't necessarily warrant me having a spot in the locker room. And I understood that, and I knew that, you know, coming into the locker room, I was going to have to do something to prove that I still belong, uh, that I could still hang with these guys and, and be a productive part of the roster. And I feel like me and Frankie have done that in the last year. Um, you know, we've shown that we're, we're capable of going out there with younger teams like Red Dragon and the Young Bucks and the Briscoes, and Matt Seidel and ACH, and go out there and have, you know, quality matches and entertaining matches and be a productive part of the roster. And so, um, you know, I, I've been very fortunate that Ring of Honor gave me that opportunity, and I feel like we've taken that opportunity, we've run with it since the first day we got there. I, I definitely agree with that, and it's cool to have the addiction back, because in the 80s and kind of like the early 90s, we said there was a huge tag team wrestling boom. And right now in Ring of Honor, it's crazy. I mean, you mentioned the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, obviously you're part of the addiction. Then the Briscoes, Seidel, ACH, War Machine, the Kingdom. I mean, do you feel like the tag team boom is back like it was basically in the late 80s? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like tag team wrestling, it's sort of based on whether there are teams that are trying to be tag teams. Um, you know, when we were in TNA as, as that influence, um, I, I felt like Frankie and I, we wanted to be 
the ta- the kind of tag team that Beer Money was and that Motor City Machine Guns were, that team that sort of made themselves a team and, and made that the priority. And, um, you know, I, I feel like TNA didn't really put as much effort into us as we did into ourselves. And so, you know, there was, that was disappointing, but, I mean, that was just the way it went. And now that we're in Ring of Honor, I feel like um, there's so many great tag teams and so many teams that are, are focused on being a great tag team that there's just so much talent there. And to be the champions in, in a loaded pool like that, um, you know, it, to me it means a lot. And so um, I'm looking forward to getting an opportunity to wrestle against all of these guys as the champions and sort of make the story of the tag team titles as important as the heavyweight title and the television title uh, in the fan base's eyes. Yeah, totally. And that's, uh, and that's definitely one thing I feel like a veteran such as yourself is, is so great at helping explain those stories is you guys can really take on anybody and make it just absolutely phenomenal. But what's also very phenomenal is the fact that you and Frankie were able to stay together you left TNA around the same time, and you you know you got together in ROH. But at the end of TNA, you guys had a very solid run together, and you really worked together for a solid couple of years, and um, saw off uh, AJ Styles um, in what could be described as one of the most peculiar uh, angles, I guess, in the history of uh, pro wrestling, the infamous Claire Lynch saga. Um, Looking back on Claire Lynch and all the stuff that came out of that, uh, what are your memories of it? And uh, if you could change anything about that whole thing, would you? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, like I, I've discussed in the past, like the, the things that were different in pitch to the company and what the company ended up doing with it. Um, you know, there are just little, little differences that I think could have made the story a little bit uh, tighter and make a little bit more sense. But um, in the end, I feel like the two major things that we, that we wanted to get out of that uh, storyline was, you know, me and Frankie as an established tag team and guys that were established as, you know, the petty, jealous, uh, you know, guys that would do anything to get to the top. And then, you know, also reestablish AJ Styles as a top babyface. I feel like, um, you know, all of the stuff that we put him through when he came out of that and sort of uh, – you know, he came back uh, sort of stronger as a babyface to the point where when he finally did come back, he came back into the world title picture. I feel like a lot of that had to do with, you know, us sort of putting uh, putting him through the ringer, uh, emotionally speaking, so that when he left and came back, it was uh, uh, a different AJ Styles than everybody was used to. And I felt like that certainly led and helped uh, to the point where he became world champion again. He he essentially left the company as the number one babyface, and I definitely think you two had a hell of a lot to do with that because that storyline got so intense, and it was cool the jealousy factor in luring Frankie over to the to the dark side and some of those things like uh, Bound for Glory, I believe it was when you pulled out the old screwdriver there, I think, and uh, it was uh, it was definitely good, but you guys got to have a really solid program uh, on top of it and. Uh, I guess, you know, if you could, what would you say out of that series with AJ would be your favorite of those matches? Um, I would have to say the last man standing match we had, uh, I can't remember which pay-per-view it was specifically, 
Um, it might have been Destination X that year, but uh, I want to say that that was one of the better ones I thought. I felt like um, AJ and I had some really good ideas, and we also uh, uh, we talked a lot with Bully Ray, who sort of helped us structure that particular match. Um, so I, I felt like the three of us had some really good ideas, and, and um, the end result was something that, that I thought went very well. Uh, so that that one sticks out for me as far as like one of my favorites working with AJ. Yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, you guys had a, a ton of great ones. I, I do remember that. That was fantastic. Um, but it, what was cool is how you also got into that storyline as well, and that was with the Fortune Group, which uh, definitely, it, it was definitely a, a, a great mix of talent putting together yourself and AJ and uh, uh, Bobby Roode and James Storm. Uh, and it was definitely, it was a, a different kind of stable showcasing a new crop of of talent, did you see uh, Bobby Roode and James Storm and all those guys taking off the way that they did after you had worked with them? Uh, absolutely. I mean, Bobby and James. Um, you know, I think one of the big things that came out of the run that they had as Beer Money was them being established. Once they split up, they became bigger stars as singles guys. Um, you know, once that, that tag team sort of split away, and so uh, that was one of the things. And that was part of the reason that I wanted to uh, make such a concerted effort to beat the tag team with Frankie was I felt like if we had that same sort of uh, effort put into us as the tag team like they did with Beer Money, that when the time came for us to split off, that we would be, you know, bigger single stars. But that just never – it never materialized that way with TNA um, the way it did with Bobby and, and, and James. But, um, but, yeah, I, I knew that I, – I saw that once they had the idea to split up and go off their separate ways, um, you could tell that Bobby and James both benefited from having that long tag run um, once the, the feud with those guys sort of got kicked in the high gear. You could see that the people were really uh, emotionally invested in both guys. Right, without a doubt. And, two, like I said, two standouts, you know, going forward – and TNA was really at a point where uh, they, they really could have taken off uh, that time because there were so many emerging talents, and it seemed like a lot of you guys were really in a great groove. And, uh, I mean, it would be remiss to say if uh, we didn't bring up, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Vince Russo and what he had done in TNA may have either helped or hurt uh, certain aspects of the company, but that's obviously up to whomever's opinion you're talking to. But uh, what, are your, what are your aspects or what are your thoughts on working with uh, Vince Russo, uh, his creative process, as well as actually uh, working for Dixie Carter and how uh, TNA was run at that point. Um, well, I, I, you know, I, I had good periods of time with those guys and bad. Um, we didn't always see eye to eye, uh, and I, I never really, uh, like part of part of my frustration was just that I felt like. I couldn't give an opinion without getting, uh, you know, punished for it. So, but I mean, that's the past and, you know, not everybody had that same experience with Vince. Some people worked very well with Vince. I just never felt like I was one of those guys. Now, one of the greatest matches in the history of TNA, I think probably if a lot of people would say the greatest, was Unbreakable 2005 three-way dance, you versus AJ versus Samoa Joe. What are your recollections of that match? And would you put it up there as, as the greatest match in TNA history? Um, well, I don't know if I'm 
you know, I, I wouldn't know if I'm allowed to, like, comment on it in that respect. I mean, that's really up to the fans to say. But I will say that it's, you know, more often than not, it's one that fans go back to to say not just one of the best of TNA's history, but, like, something indicative of what TNA could have been. Um, to me, that day, I, I felt like TNA and the fan base, they really wanted to see uh, three, I, at that point, you would call us TNA originals or TNA homegrown talent, um, you know, to give us the opportunity to be the main event on that particular pay-per-view. I felt like, um, you know, it was sort of rewarding the fact that we had all three of us had become, you know, uh, you know, strong characters for that company to sort of invest in. And um, we were we were given the opportunity to go out there and, and make a statement about what we could have been and what we could be. And I feel like we really did, uh, you did the best that we could in that respect. They, uh, you know, for a, a match 10 years down the road to be talked about still in that respect, uh, I, I feel like it says a lot about the three of us as, as talent and, and uh, characters for the company. I feel like any pairing of you guys is going to automatically going to be a really good match. You know, uh, Dave Meltzer gave that match five stars. But, you know, any any um, pairing of you guys that feel like very high on his uh, star rating chart, I think, just because you guys have great chemistry together. Obviously, you guys are great workers. But do you think it's just like almost like an easy day when you're working AJ or an easy day when you get to wrestle Samoa Joe? Um, well, I, I feel like it's easy. it's easy to go out there and have a great match with those guys. I feel like the three of us, we're sort of of like minds when it comes to putting matches together and, and knowing what works. And, uh, you know, we've, we've worked with each other so often and, uh, you know, traveled with each other so often that I feel very comfortable uh, putting a match together with either one of those guys or both of those guys. And so, um, you know, when you get like minds like that coming together and, you know, working to put the best match that you can together, um, it, it, to me it makes it easy. When TNA was putting together that great X division, you know, when they started in 2002, I mean, it was you, Loki, you had AJ, um, Prime Sam Elix Skipper was there, Amazing Red, obviously Jerry Lynn was a huge part of that. Did you think you were on to something huge, and do you think maybe they dropped the ball a bit on the X division? Because there you guys were putting on the best matches in the world at, at that point, and, you know, at that time. Um, well, I, I don't know if they dropped the ball. I feel like... Um, a lot of times they just put the X division in, in the position where all they wanted to see out of them was action. And then they would be upset because there wasn't any character development. And it seemed like uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like they would, they would give these guys, they would have, they would put guys in a position where they'd, they'd go out like four or five guys at a time. And they would just say, okay, we'll go out and give us 10 minutes of great action. And then those same five guys wouldn't get an opportunity to sort of flesh out any characters. And then the big, the big knock on the X division was that it was guys that were just out there doing moves without storyline behind it. So I mean, to me, that that came up, that was a lot to do with the way we were presented. Um, you know, I feel like myself, my, myself, AJ, and Samoa Joe, we were given the opportunity to sort of put our characters out there as well, and and tell stories about ourselves, not just the action, but like the the motivations behind the stuff that we did. Um, and I feel like that's one of the reasons why, you know, when you talk about the X division, a lot of times the first couple names that come up are, are Joe and AJ and myself. Um, but there were, you know, there were a lot of guys that never got that opportunity that we had that has a lot to do with 
the creative direction that the company wanted to take. I feel like when they gave you guys the ball and, and made for you guys in the main event, you guys would definitely deliver. And I can distinctly remember uh, you and Elo Skipper against AMW, and you guys main evented uh, in a cage match, uh, a pay-per-view. And I feel like you guys really delivered, and I, I felt like they could have kept the momentum of like having just awesome main events. Do you agree that maybe they, they weren't focused enough on, on who really the good talent was? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that's necessarily it. I mean, I, I feel like uh, I feel like the guys, the guys in the creative, just sort of went with who they were comfortable with, and uh, you know, it wasn't always myself in that spot. So, I mean, you know, you can argue like the stuff that went well or didn't go well, but you know, I felt like when I got those opportunities, I felt like I delivered when I needed to. Um, so. It was weird because I remember you had a few with Jeff Jarrett and they like kind of cut the legs out of it. Then you had a few with Sting and they kind of cut the legs out of it. Do you think there was just just them not knowing what to do with like the, the Fallen Angel gimmick? Uh, possibly. I mean, I, I I pitched ideas and some of them got used and some of them didn't. Um, I mean, that sounds like an interview for those guys that you can have if you wanted. <laughs> I wish I could answer you. I, I, I never really got a clear answer on any of that stuff, so... It always uh, always baffled me. And then another thing that was so baffling was, did you enjoy the, the suicide character that they had you play? Or did you like actually enjoy playing it? Uh, I didn't mind playing it. It was never meant for me to play. It was, I my my interaction as the suicide character was uh, sort of accidental. Um, it was never meant to be me. And uh, I took over when, when Frankie got hurt. So, I mean, it was never meant to be a long-term thing. And um, when they finally did the storyline where, like, they thought it was me, like, that to me was a complete surprise. I felt like they didn't need to put a spotlight on who he was or the fact that it was me or might have been me at all. But, I mean, that was a decision that they made to sort of go forward. With your uh, departure from TNA, were you, like, completely shocked? Because I know I was. Obviously, they liked a lot of people. Uh, it could be financial reasons or, or whatever the reason that they gave. Were you shocked that they didn't resign you? Um, not really. I was more disappointed than anything. I felt like Frankie and I didn't. We hadn't really even scratched the surface of what we could have done um, as the tag team. But um, you know, they they made the decision. They felt like they had, uh, I guess, better avenues to travel with different talent. Um, so yeah, just more disappointed than anything. I felt, especially near the end when they finally signed Davey and Eddie, I thought that there was a great opportunity for Frankie and I to be featured in a program with them, but uh, that was never TNA's plan, I guess. It would have been a perfect pairing of the American Wolves against the Addiction, or at that point, Bad Influence. Uh, would have been a great feud. But I always found it confusing because these guys built a company. I mean, obviously, they would like to have Samoa Joe, too, and AJ Styles, and and you and Gazarian, but I always found it very baffling that they would let go of guys that are synonymous with TNA and synonymous with building up that brand and building up that company so much. Well, um, apparently your opinion of us was different than theirs. I mean, apparently they didn't feel like our uh, contribution to TNA was that important. 
pretty crazy to say. And uh, I'm actually kind of glad because now uh, we get to see an ROH on Destination America, and uh, you know I get to see on Sinclair and everything else. But as we uh, wind down a little bit here, a question that I've always been curious of for about I'd say the last 15 years or so. I followed you on the Indies, and then I'm you know you read the magazines and you hear all the rumors and, and all that other stuff. Was in 2000, I guess you were almost going to sign with WCW or you did sign with WCW and then you were going to start um, almost like an, align, um, an alliance with Vampiro. Is is that rumor true or is that just, you know, internet stuff? No, that's true. I I, uh, I signed with WCW at the beginning of, or yeah, right at the beginning of 2000. Um, uh, but I was hired by Kevin Sullivan and they had an idea for me uh, to do something with Vampiro but while I was finishing my last tour of Japan before I was supposed to start, uh, Kevin Sullivan was let go, and they replaced him with Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo, who didn't really know me at the time. And so um, they started to do when I got when I finally got there and started traveling with the company. They started to do the angle with me and Vampiro, and then they decided to go in a different direction, like almost immediately. So I, I literally did one vignette as the guy that was paired with Vampiro, and then they just changed direction, and um, I, I got let go pretty soon after that. And then you ended up signing with them again, I guess, around January 2001. And I remember you had right. a match with uh, Mike Modest, who was also another ROH original. Right. Yep, that's uh, it. That's true. Now, in that match... I guess you. I think you you got hurt, and then you ended up not really uh, wrestling any any more matches with WCW. Well, yeah. The I, well, the original plan was for me to get hurt by Scott Steiner, like they were doing yeah. an angle with Scott Steiner because that was right after Sid broke his leg, and so they were doing an angle where Scott Steiner was breaking people's legs. So at the end of the match, Scott Steiner ran in and broke my leg and broke. Mike Modest's leg with the pipe, the angle was going to be, you know, if WCW had continued, we would have come back later on down the line um, as, you know, because we both got signed right after that. But um, it wasn't much longer after that until WCW closed and was sold. So, um, but then, yeah, in the match itself, I, I got hurt and, uh, you know, hurt my neck pretty badly. And uh, that had nothing to do with the way, you know, the angle went down or, the company falling apart happened. So it all sort of fell on me at once. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, one thing I'm always curious about when we, you know, have somebody on with your impressive resume is, do you have a favorite match or maybe matches you've had in your career that you can think of? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say, like, one stands out more than any. Um, You know, I, I feel like a lot of people... A lot of people's favorites has always been the the match with me and Joe and AJ, um, and and that certainly is a high point in my career. Just knowing that that you know that happened and it's been so well respected over the course of time. But I mean, at the same time, you know, the stuff that I did with Elix as Triple X against AMW stands out. Um, the matches, the single stuff that I had with AJ, the single stuff that I did with Joe, um, the stuff that I did with Eddie Edwards in 2010, 2011, and Ring of Honor stands out for me. Um, you know, the, the stuff that Frankie and I have done, uh, both TNA and Ring of Honor, that stuff stands out. So it's, it's hard for me to, like, pinpoint one as a favorite. 
without sort of giving short shrift to a lot of other things. So I've just been fortunate to have great matches with a lot of great talent over the course of my career, and, and hopefully I get to keep that, that trend alive. Do you actually have a favorite opponent? Would it be AJ Styles or maybe a Samoa Joe, or or is it maybe too many favorite opponents? Yeah, same thing, same thing. Like, it, it's easy to say AJ and Joe just because I think those are the two guys that I've worked with more in my career than anybody in terms of singles matches. But, um, you know, like I just mentioned Eddie Edwards a minute ago, I thought, like, you know, I had a really great series of matches in Ring of Honor uh, in 2010, 2011. Um, I felt like I had a really good one with, with Austin Aries, uh in the last bit of my time at TNA. Um, I, I just recently had a, a really good one with Adam Cole uh, in Ring of Honor this this last year. Um, I've just been real fortunate to, like I said, work with a lot of great talent. And, um, you know, and I feel like uh, if I can just keep that going and keep working with great talent and hopefully stay at their level, that's what sort of keeps me motivated to, to stay on and stay keep wrestling even after, you know, 22-plus years. And that, uh, that leads us into the final question before your plugs, and that is where do you see the fallen angel Christopher Daniels in five years in the wrestling business? Ooh, I don't know, man. Um, it's very possible I'll still be wrestling in five years, uh, especially if I can keep – feeling like I do now. Um, you know, I feel like Frankie and I are, are, are firing on all cylinders with Ring of Honor. And, uh, you know, the positive, the, the, the steps forward with Ring of Honor as a company, uh, going to Destination America, doing more pay-per-views, uh, succeeding more on the syndicated level. Um, I feel like there's a lot of forward momentum for us, and, and I want to keep that going over the next year, the next five years, the next ten years. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to bigger and better things for myself and the addiction as a team and, um, and, and ring of honor as a company for the next five years. Well, we definitely as huge fans of yours, uh, hope to see you in five years as well, because, uh, we just, uh, he saw you up at, uh, uh, in Philadelphia. We were together in Baltimore and watched you perform and you're an absolute joy to watch live. And uh, with that being said, please tell the fine fans of the two man power trip of wrestling, where we can find everything Christopher Daniels. Um, well, most of the stuff goes uh, through my Twitter, at FAC Daniels. Uh, the website is FallenAngelChristopherDaniels.com, which is probably the longest wrestling URL in history. <laughs> um, you can support me at uh, ProWrestlingTees.com uh, uh, or CelebVideoMessages.com, CelebDM.com. Um, you can get all that information off the website, though. There's links to the stuff that I do with Pro Wrestling Tees with CelebVM. And um, a lot of other great stuff. So uh, uh, thanks for the support, all the wrestling fans, all the fans of the two-man power trip. I appreciate it. And uh, keep watching Ring of Honor, Destination America, uh, starting this Wednesday. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. We really appreciate it. We're actually we're a part.